Welcome everyone. We're excited to share some country wisdom with you. King Solomon had a thing or two to say about the path to wisdom. In Proverbs 4, he wrote, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Keep straight the path of your feet and all your ways will be sure. Join us now for Country Wisdom. I want to introduce you to Tim Chafee today. Tim is a content director, is that the proper term? Manager, yep. Content manager. Uh, three master's degrees, working on a doctorate. I've got to ask you, Tim, what, what are those master's degrees uh, in? Uh, the MA is in Biblical and Theological Studies, the MDiv specialized in apologetics and theology, and then the THM is in Church History and Theology. All right, so we've got the perfect guy today to talk about the Bible being trustworthy, is it? <laughs> yes. Tell, tell us what you think. That works. Yeah. That really works. I mean, that's the way it should be. But unfortunately, in this world today, that isn't the way it is. A lot of people don't believe that. What well, would you a lot do? of people believe that the Bible is actually full of mistakes. Mm -hmm. That, uh, that it contradicts itself. Right, they talk about how there's scientific errors or historical errors or that it contradicts itself. And, um, you know, I've been studying the book for a long time, <laughs> really in depth for over 25 years. I haven't seen one yet. And yet they keep... What are some of the uh, most popular criticisms, the, the ones that people bring up the most? Yeah, so since we're here at the Ark Encounter, let's talk about one from Genesis. A lot of people will say in the creation week, well, the Bible says God made light on day one, but he made the sun on day four, and so there's this contradiction there. I've heard there. that one. Yeah, and, and, and when you explain it to people that, no, he made light on day one. You don't need the sun to have light. I mean, when you flip on a light switch in your room. You're not using the you're sun. You're not using the sun. <laughs> you know, it's, so you don't have to have the sun to have light. It's just that God made the permanent light source, the sun, uh, on day four. And they'll say, well, how could you have days before that then? Because days one, two, and three were before that. And so those must not be literal days, you know, 24 hour days because you don't have the sun. You don't measure the day by the sun. You measure it by the rotation of the earth. And so as long as you have a rotating earth and you have light, then, which you have because you have evening and morning, evening and morning, evening, on each of those days, then you can measure the length of the day. And so God is telling us how long those days were. They were evening and morning they were a dark uh, and night period so 24 hours it's kind of interesting too this may be a bigger bite-sized chunk for some people but the bible says god is light yeah so i picture god just lighting up the universe before he you know helped us out here with the sun on earth he, he that may very well be how he did it i mean we don't the bible doesn't tell us what that light it, was it's it, kind of for me i kind of imagine it as that corner of the universe lit up because God was moving in. You know, as soon as he entered the area, it was lit Well, if you up. think about what's interesting, is if you think about the end of the book of Revelation, and uh, it, there's so many things at the end of Revelation that tie into the beginning of Genesis. And, what is that, the chiastic structure? Well, well that's usually a big word. That's a big <laughs> word. Usually that had to do more with like a poet, uh, structure of a certain narrative where you see things repeated but in reverse. But um, this one, you have, you know, you have the tree of life mentioned again in Revelation. and. Uh, no more curse. Well, there was no curse at the beginning. You have the light, and it says there's no need of the sun because the Lamb or Christ Himself will be the light. So maybe that is what the light source was those first three days. 
it doesn't tell us that. That's a good, you know, speculation. But maybe some temporary light source got put there. And by the way, I should mention to our viewers too that we're here at the Ark Encounter. Yeah. So we're in the middle. A lot of folks around. You've got bands going for the uh, celebration. Yeah, we're here at a good time. Yeah, a great yeah. Time. We've, we've had a um, this summer. We've had 40 days and 40 nights of gospel music at the Ark, and so we have musicians playing in the morning and in the evening, and then we have some outdoor things. So we might hear some music strike up in a little bit. But it's um, all been good music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the people have been, I mean, the, the bands that are coming in, they're, they're so friendly and great to get to know them. And we have popular pastors who are coming and sharing the gospel. Uh, so David Jeremiah is going to be here. And uh, so just a lot of well-known people. And they can find out more looking on our website. Uh, we've only got a few days left of it, though. So. Good. Now, let, let's unpack if we can, because we don't have a lot of time. But unpack the creation day a little more in depth, if you would. Yeah, so a lot of times, ever since the late 1700s, the early 1800s, there have been, um, that's when geology was just getting started, the, the science of geology. You know, in 1700s, you couldn't go to school and get a degree in geology. People were just starting to study the rocks. And some of the early geologists, people like Charles Lyell, who was an attorney by trade, but um, he wanted to separate or divorce the science of geology from Moses. That's what he, his stated goal was to try to move it away from the Bible. And so he would fudge numbers, you know, about the Niagara Falls and how quickly it's receding. He wanted it to be, you know, hundreds of thousands of years old rather than just thousands of years old because you can kind of measure those things. And so he would fudge his numbers and his books were extremely influential, Principles of Geology. Um, they made it on board the HMS Beagle. Tim, if I could, I've, I've just got to have you back up just for a second. Yeah. Folks, this may be really important. Talk about Niagara Falls and how we can show that a young earth. <laughs> yeah, so waterfalls will often they'll erode the, the rock that they're flowing over, and so they actually move back over time. And you can measure the rate and how quickly they move back, and then you can just calculate, well, how long would that be before it was in the Great Lake, you know? <laughs> and so uh, that, that's how you're able to calculate those, those things. Now, you have to, uh, you have to, assume that it's always been constant but during the ice age and when that ended you would have a, you know a lot more water flowing through there which would erode it quicker and so there there are some factors that you have to take into account but um, it does kind of give you an upper limit to those things that was not on there for millions of years which even the seculars i would say no because there was an ice age and that's when these things would have been but things have not always been uniform that's exactly right um, it also when you were talking about charles lael it reminds me that no matter what the data is, your worldview affects how you interpret those numbers, yes. how you interpret what it is you're looking at. Yep, and we see that all the time. You know, a good example is in 2005, there was some soft tissue that was discovered in the, in the upper leg bone of a tyrannosaur, so the femur, and they had broken it open to transport it. And when they did that and they were you know, studying it, they found soft tissue and blood cells and, and Which blood vessels. Which should not still be there. No, that we've been told for <laughs> if years. If it's as old as they say. Right, we've been told for, for years, you'll never find anything like that because none of that could last for more than 10,000 years because as soon as the creature dies, all of that, the DNA, everything else starts breaking down and you'd never find it. Well, they found it. And then right away the outcry was, well, that was contamination, you gotta look again. They did look again and they found it. And then what was their conclusion? Oh, well, maybe the millions of years are wrong, right? No, that wasn't their conclusion. Their conclusion was there must be some process by which these things could be preserved for 67 million years. Yeah. And we look at it and say, that's perfectly consistent with what we would expect. So that we had other dinosaur bones broken open, and guess what? Soft, Soft tissue. tissue, we're finding more of that. Blood cells. Yeah. So that, that, that's a great example of how people look at the exact same data 
and they have two different worldviews looking at it and they reach different conclusions. And that's what people need to understand. This whole creation evolution thing, it is not science versus faith. That's how it's always portrayed in the media. And it's not, you know, fact versus belief. It is worldview about the past, present, and future versus worldview about the past, present, and future. One begins with man's ideas that change all the time, who don't know everything, and oftentimes are trying to get away from, from God, not, not all of them. Um, and then the other starts with God's word. The word of the one who knows all things, who's always been, who made everything, who told us what he did, and he cannot lie. So we're gonna start there. And it absolutely makes sense. I mean, that's the place to start. Yeah. Um, continue on now with the uh, creation week. Um, yeah, well, real quickly before... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah we, talk, we were talking about Charles Lyell. Well, his books were taken on board the HMS Beagle with Charles Darwin. And that that's what gave Darwin the millions of years that he needed to propose the idea of evolution or promote it. Evol the idea had already been there, but to really popularize it. So those two in tandem really uh, caused a drastic shift in the way that people thought about these issues. Because prior to that time, most people assumed, yeah, the biblical flood, and that's how we can explain the layers that we see in the, in the ground. Um, so going back to the creation week, um, the Bible tells us that each of those days were normal length days. They began with evening and morning. They're in a numbered sequence. And whenever you find in historical narrative a numbered sequence in Hebrew, it's always uh, of days attached to the word day. It's always a normal length day. And all, all of these Not factors... Not long periods of time. Right. And even in Exodus chapter 20, when God is giving the Ten Commandments and he says uh, to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, he goes on and gives, he says, you're going to work six days and rest for one because that's what I did. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. That's Exodus 20, verse 11. Well, if God worked for, you know, if, if it was really for millions of years, well, the Israelites we are going to have a pretty long week. They better yeah. hope it's Friday night or else they're going to have a rough time. And when you think, if you don't believe in the creation week, how do you explain where we get a week? It's interesting because you know, everything you, else is based on right. bodies, you know, astronomical bodies. Right. The 24-hour day is the Earth rotating one time. The the 365 and a quarter day or year is days a year is the amount of time it takes the Earth to travel around the Sun. The month is is based on the amount of time the Moon goes around the Earth. And the seven-day week is from... Yeah, where is that from? <laughs> it's not from astronomy. <laughs> and yet nearly every culture has been using that. And it's from God's Word. It's, it's almost as if we were made to work on that schedule because we work. Yeah. It is interesting, too. Uh, circadian rhythm, they found, is seven that seven-day cycle. Yeah. And, and humans, we just don't function well. Europe, they tried to stick in a, you know, a After ten... After the French Revolution, yeah. they said, let's do it on 10. Yeah, 10-day work week didn't work, but killed everybody because God had set us up to match that. You know? uh, continue on. You've got a lot of exciting things. I mean, we'd go on for hours. <laughs> well, so what some Christians have tried to do is blend that millions of years with with the Bible, and it just doesn't work. It creates all sorts of problems. If you try to put it before Adam, then you've got death and suffering and disease before Adam. The Bible says those things are a result of Adam's sin. And if you also have to say, okay, God's plan for developing up to humans was for a lot of death to happen. Right. Yeah, so if, if God used evolution, which is what people, some people will say, and then sometimes Christians will say, well, he could do that if he wanted. Really, the God who is holy, just, pure, and merciful could use a process of death and suffering and disease for millions and millions of years and call it very good? That doesn't sound like the God of Scripture who calls death an enemy. I'm back that up just a little bit for people who may 
not really have a, a handle on this. Unpack that a little bit more when you talk about this, that time frame and death destruction and everything. Yeah, so if the rock layers that we find in the in the ground, if, you know, when you look at the Grand Canyon, they're full of fossils and everything, and that fossils are evidence of dead things. If those, if that's really a record of millions and millions and millions of years, hundreds of millions of years of death and suffering and disease, all of those things had to have happened before the first man was on the scene, according to you know, the evolutionary time scale and everything. And yet, after God makes Adam and Eve, he looked at everything he had made and said it was very good, perfect. There's no death and suffering. God said those things are going to be, if you sin, death. So death, death is, is a, a result of sin. Yeah. And the New Testament is very clear on that as well. So if you have death and suffering disease, thorns and thistles, all of that that we find in the fossil record before Adam, then God just called all those things very good. And that's not how God is described in Scripture. And here's where it really hits the road for us as Christians. If Adam's sin did not bring physical death into this world, then how come the solution to sin is the physical death of the Son of God on the cross and the physical bodily resurrection from the grave? If sin and death have no connection, which is what the millions of years does, it disconnects those, then the gospel doesn't make sense anymore either. And yes, that's the very point that they want to make. <laughs> for, for the skeptic, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are some Christians who believe the gospel, but they don't believe what Genesis says about, you know, the age of the earth like we're talking about. And so they have a disconnect. They can still be saved by believing in what Christ has done. But they're kind of saying, oh, but I don't really believe you here. I don't really trust you here. I'm going to trust the scientist. And that's but if you believe in Christ, you know, if you, if you accept New Testament but are going, ah, but Genesis, you know, Christ quoted he did. from Genesis. Christ believed. You know, Jesus, when he was on earth, believed that Noah existed and that there was a flood. And that Abel and existed. And he believed that sin came in with Adam. Yep. And he was there. So you have to he say, well, he right. was wrong about that. That's what some people will say. They'll say, oh, he just accommodated to the errors of his day. So if he sinned, then he can't be our savior <laughs> because he'd be dying for his own sins. Yeah. So it's, it's, People don't think through a lot of those things deeply. They think the scientific issues, well, that's the issue for the scientists, and we've got to trust the I'm scientists. I'm just going on faith. So do you trust the scientists who also say people don't rise from the dead? Because if you deny the resurrection, you're not a believer, and yet they're believing that part. And what do kind of hope do you have and, if you don't believe in that? Right, and how many scientists say virgins don't give birth? So we accept <laughs> miracles in the New Testament, but somehow God couldn't do something miraculously in the Old. And it's because they're trusting a philosophy. They don't understand, they think it's a science, but it's really a uniformitarian philosophy that says all things continue the way they have been for millions and millions of years. There was never a and worldwide flood. And if we don't flood. see it today, it, it didn't, didn't happen yesterday right. either. Yep. And so people don't recognize really the nature of the battle that's been going on. It's been very clever, you know, from the skeptics, from really from the enemy, to undermine Genesis because then it will undermine the rest of Scripture. Hey, Janice, how are you doing? Hey, you wrote another book. I did. Had a burden on my heart, and God helped me get it done. So, The Plan of Love, what's it about? Well, it's really about God in eternity. Saw everything that was going to happen here, and His amazing love, He says, I'm going to take care of the problems. I'm going to take care of the situation by giving my own life. He did all that, but we've been lied to so much, we don't see what God has planned for us, what God is doing for us. Matter of fact, the angel came down to Mary and said, uh, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their, their sins. sins. Notice it wasn't in, but from. Where can people get the book? Hey, I'm glad you asked. Folks, if you'd like your own personal copy, log on to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org. And oh, please, if you would, send us a donation of $12. Or more. Or more. And uh, we'll get you the book, and I'll be happy to sign it for you, too. Thank you so much. 
Did you realize that the Bible was written by about 40 authors over 1,400 years? Can you imagine any human work that could display such singleness of thought and beauty? Have you ever questioned the authenticity of the Bible? Some of our film crew had the wonderful opportunity to travel to Israel to an area called Qumran, where local Bedouins discovered seven scrolls in a cave. Later, almost all the scrolls of the Old Testament were found. Go to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org today and order offer number 108, Ancient Scrolls Discovered in Forgotten Caves. It's an amazing little pamphlet, and it's yours free today. And I'm admitting to a bit of a flaw in my character here. Um, there might be just a touch of pride in me that the Lord has not quite overcome. I get so upset when people, oh, you believe in creation. It's kind of like, <laughs> you're just a little ignorant. You know, if you just really understood science, you wouldn't believe that anymore. I'm an intelligent person. And the thought that I, the only reason I believe in creation and believe in the whole literal genesis is that I'm dumb, that might get to me. Well, <laughs> More than it should. Paul, Paul allowed himself to be called a fool for Christ's sake. Uh -huh. If Paul could be a fool, I am. We can too. I'm way dumber than Paul. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so I, I need um, to learn to accept uh, when people think I'm dumb. Tim, you've got me going here on Creation Week. Let's kind of keep keep digging in the more. Well, sure. What do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're about up to date. Yeah, was it? So one of the other things we're here at the Ark Encounter, so we talk about animals a lot. So a lot of times the Christians who will add the million, try to add the millions of years, they'll say, oh, it's perfectly consistent with the order of events. You know, you, I can give you quotes from like Norman Geisler and other people, you know, these very brilliant men. And they'll say things like order of events from the Big Bang and evolution lines up with Genesis 1. No, it doesn't. It doesn't even come close to that. Okay, so they, you know, from the evolutionary point of view, you know, you have dinosaurs would be land animals, so they're on day six. Well, the Bible says they're on day six, but the evolutionary view says they evolved into birds. Well, birds are day five. <laughs> they're the exact opposite yeah. order. The, the evolutionary view, the Big Bang and everything, has the sun before the earth. What does the Bible have? The earth before the sun. And we have an article on our website by Dr. Terry Mortensen that goes through like 23 differences in the order of events. You can't just take the millions of years and stick it on top of Genesis 1 without completely changing what Genesis 1 says. And then people will say, well, the point of Genesis 1 is just to tell us that God made everything and that man's made in his image. Then why do we have all those verses? I mean, we have, well, you could say that in Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1:26 and 27. What about all the rest? Even if those are the two most important points, it doesn't mean the other details are insignificant or are wrong, which is what these people are claiming. And no, let's just, let's look at the Bible the way that Jesus did. It's God's word, it's authoritative, it's accurate from the very beginning to the very end. And uh, we're so going to follow the, his example. For the non-believer, they can trust that it's real. Yep. For the Christian, you better get your act together a little bit and believe what it says, because if you believe in evolution, you've got a problem. But we're not basing, I'm not basing my faith in nothing. Right. It's not just, well, you know, you hear so often, God said it, I believe it. I don't think he ever asks us to believe things without an awful lot of evidence right. that we can hang that belief on. Yeah, if you look at Hebrews 11, you know, the, the Faith Hall of Fame, how does it define faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word evidence is part of the definition of faith in the Bible, and I think my, my favorite example of faith in Scripture is in, in that chapter, 
it talks about how Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. You know, jokingly, I say it's because he was a teenage boy. <laughs> and so I get it, okay? I've got a teenage boy, too. And the Lord said, hey, kill him. Okay. <laughs> I've been waiting for that one. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I love my boy. <laughs> Better erase that in the tape. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but what does it tell us? Abraham reasoned. This is his faith. Abraham reasoned that God would bring him back from the dead. Why? Because God had already told Abraham, it's through Isaac all of this is going to happen. And then God showed up and said, Abraham, now sacrifice your son. And Abraham thinks through it and he's like, if I do it, it's on you, God. You've got to raise him for that. Okay, I'll do it. That, because he knew God was trustworthy. Faith is about trusting in the one who has shown himself to be trustworthy time and time and time again. And of course, God stopped Abraham from doing it. And God himself is the one who sent his son and sacrificed his son on our behalf. So if I walked in here and I'm one of the, I think you said about 30% of mm -hmm. the visitors you get here are not They're believers unchurched. or unchurched. Yeah. If I was one of those, hey, let's go and just see what these stupid people put together, you know, so it'll have fun picking it all apart. Mm -hmm. What are maybe one or two of the, the pieces of evidence that you would say, okay, look at this? Yeah, I think when you're dealing with the ark itself, you're looking at the feasibility. You know, could you really fit all the animals on the ark? And we've talked about that before. Um, in, in a previous show that, yeah, that's feasible. That can happen. Look how big the ark is. Here's how much space they had. Here's how many animals. That works. And so I think people can understand it from that perspective. Uh, one of the things we talk about at the Creation Museum, we have archaeological evidence that is consistent with the Bible. And we were talking before we started filming. How <laughs> many times Archaeology never disproves no, scripture. No, no, no. There, there have been thousands of sites that have been found and discovered because they're exactly where the Bible said they would be. And the Bible's been used as a map to find these locations, these ancient places. And over and over again, skeptics will say things like, well, there's never any evidence for the Hittite people. And, you know, we heard that up until 1906 when the Hittite culture, National Library with 30,000 clay tablets, all of these things were discovered. And we know how, you know, their, their whole empire, we know about all of those things now. Or David never existed. He was more like a, a you know, King Arthur type figure for the Israelites. And it was written hundreds of years later. figure. Yeah, until we found the Tel Dan Stella that talks about the house of David, meaning that it was a kingly line from David. And it was from about 150 years after him. And, you know, Goliath wasn't a real person, you know, the, the giant that David fought against. And then in the town of Gath, what do they find? They find potsherds that have the name, uh, very similar to the name Goliath, and uh, from the same time period, meaning that name was used in Gath at that time. It wasn't something written a hundred, you know, hundreds of years later that was just, just made, made up. up. These were people who were writing about things that they saw, that they witnessed. What about evidence for the flood? If you, in the world that we see today, mm -hmm. uh, if you travel to national parks or whatever, where can you see the flood? All over. <laughs> All over. I mean, Grand Canyon. I think of the Grand Canyon. Yeah, Grand Canyon is a great example. I mean, you have a mile worth of these, of these rock layers, and those were nearly all laid down during the flood. And it, there, there's so much scientific research that's gone into that. In fact, just recently, uh, our geologist on staff, Dr. Andrew Snelling, was able to, he had to sue the Park Service in order to get the samples because they wouldn't let him get it. They said, no, we want just science here. He's <laughs> trying to do science. Uh, because there are places in the Grand Canyon where you have these folds and bends right. of, you know, dozens and dozens of feet of rock layers. How did that happen over a million layers. years that well, it folded? Yeah, so if you get all these rock layers that slowly, gradually form over, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, and then something happens to cause them to warp upward and down. They break. They would fracture and break. And yet we have all these layers, you know, 50 feet tall of all these layers where they're bent and folded like this, and they're not cracked. 
And so how does that happen? Well, the, the person who believed in the millions of years said, yeah, well, through enough pressure, you can heat it up and the rock can, can change and everything. And, can, and that's true. But then the chemical composition changes. And so what Dr. Snelling wanted to do is let's grab some samples from those different bends and folds and everything and check the chemical composition. Well, he just published his paper, first paper on it just about two months ago. The chemical composition has not changed, meaning all of those layers were laid down quickly and were still soft when they were bent, which is perfectly consistent with the worldwide flood. And actually seems more logical. Yeah, I was actually just in um, Mount St. Helens, the, the, mm -hmm. the, what they call the Little Grand Canyon, 140th the side of the Grand Canyon. Two weeks ago, I was down there hiking and uh, Pretty neat to see all of this. And things, as but, we know, it took millions of years. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah, it all took <laughs> one mud flow from one day. I mean, it just, yeah. it, it, this canyon was carved out in a day. And uh, what Mount St. Helens did in a small, you know, it's a little volcano by contrast to a lot of the other ones, it created this laboratory that scientists can go look at and say, wow, all of this catastrophic stuff can happen rapidly. It does not take millions of years. And it was extraordinary to be down there walking around looking at those things. It's so difficult to look at the Grand Canyon, even when I wasn't a believer, and think, how did that little river make all of this? Right. You know, well, you had millions of years and it works. No, it doesn't. It would have you to know. flow uphill for millions of years first to, to get <laughs> yeah. in there because <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. there's yeah. just, yeah, that, that's the thing. We were talking about how do you, you know, people look at the same evidence and have different conclusions. You can stand at the rim of the Grand Canyon as, as a person who believes what the Bible says about creation and the flood or get somebody who believes in the millions of years. And one person will say, look at that, a lot of water, a little bit of time. And another person would say, that was a little bit of water over a long period of time. Well, which one do we observe? We've observed canyons being formed rapidly by a lot of water rushing through there. Now, one of the things you focus on too, Ark Encounter and, and the ministry is, is creation. Mm -hmm. um, if someone wanted to just, you know, find out a little more about creation, uh, where would they look? Well, a great place would be our website, AnswersInGenesis.org. We've got thousands of articles dealing with, with you know, all of these issues, um, so-called contradictions in the Bible or, uh, you know, these, these claims that the Bible is not scientifically accurate or historically accurate. We have so many uh, articles on apologetics, uh, Christian living, all sorts of things that people can find there. So it's a wealth of information. We've got a lot of books on those topics as well. So check out the bookstore while you're there and, and uh, yeah, you'll find a lot of things. My husband doesn't like how often I'm on that website. You know, <laughs> we do. Show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Tim, I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate your time with us and, and sharing these things, letting people know that, you know, this is true. And there's a lot of scientific evidence to back it up in there. Yeah, there sure is. Yeah, the Bible, uh, the rightly interpreted will always match God's world rightly interpreted uh, because it's, it's true from beginning to end. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Coming. Thank you. All right. Hey Janice, how are you doing? Hey, you wrote another book. I did. Had a burden on my heart and God helped me get it done. So the plan of love, what's it about? Well, it's really about God in eternity. Saw everything that was going to happen here and his amazing love, he says, I'm going to take care of the problems. I'm going to take care of the situation by giving my own life. He did all that, but we've been lied to so much, we don't see what God has planned for us, what God is doing for us. Matter of fact, the angel came down to Mary and said, uh, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their, from sins. their sins. Notice it wasn't in, but from. Where can people get the book? Hey, I'm glad you asked. Folks, if you'd like your own personal copy, log on to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org. And oh, please, if you would, send us a donation of $12. Or more. Or more. 
and uh, we'll get you the book and I'll be happy to sign it for you too. Thank you so much. Did you realize that the Bible was written by about 40 authors over 1400 years? Can you imagine any human work that could display such singleness of thought and beauty? Have you ever questioned the authenticity of the Bible? Some of our film crew had the wonderful opportunity to travel to Israel to an area called Qumran, where local Bedouins discovered seven scrolls in a cave. Later, almost all the scrolls of the Old Testament were found. Go to TalkingDonkeyInternational.org today and order offer number 108, Ancient Scrolls Discovered in Forgotten Caves. It's an amazing little pamphlet, and it's yours free today. Thank you for watching. Join us again for another exciting country wisdom. See you next time.